dad wasn't there really. He he was very old school male. You know, you you went to see him on holidays, mm-hmm. and he you know supported you financially, and that's what the dad did. Mm. And I get that because that's what happened to him. Hello and welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with me and Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe as I love hearing all your feedback, but more importantly, it helps the podcast get to more ears and the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode and I hope you have a wonderful listen. Because of quarantine, I'm going to be mixing my pre and post quarantine interviews up as I think it's really important for you to hear some of the voices during quarantine that I think are perhaps more relevant to how you may be experiencing life right now with this slightly extra layer of introspection. In today's episode, I am speaking to Jamie Lang. Lang? Lang or Lang doesn't matter. Really? Honestly, okay. I'm like Bowie. Okay. <laughs> if that works. <laughs> in 2011, Jamie joined a reality TV show called Made in Chelsea and has appeared in every single episode since. Yeah, that is true. And embarrassing, I think. I think it's more embarrassing than true. Actually, <laughs> it's true and just incredibly embarrassing. Oh, no. This, however, was merely a platform for Jamie to go and do what he really wanted in life, to start a gourmet sweet company called Candy Kittens with his business partner, Ed Williams. Candy Kittens has already seen incredible success, being sold in Selfridges, Waitrose, Topshop, and quite recently, I believe, from an Instagram stalk, partnered with global confectionery giants, Catches. Yes, you got it right. (laughs) You got it right. I spelt that phonetically. Yeah, yeah, that's how I do everything, (laughs) so don't worry. However, Jamie doesn't stop there and also co-hosts two brilliant podcasts, the first being Private Parts, which he does with Made in Chelsea alumnus Francis Ball, and my personal favourite, Move, with business partner Ed Williams, where they ask fellow entrepreneurs how they got to where they have and what advice they could give to anyone listening. It's so good, and I've learned so much from listening to it. And Jamie, you actually really are my favourite question asker. Oh, <laughs> you, I, I think I ask too many questions sometimes. That's my problem, though. No, I, I think I think you ask all the questions that listeners want to want actually want oh, really? to hear. Okay, it's all these like things thing. in between the lines. Because I think I I think that what I've kind of worked out is that people are really badass, and actually just to like mm. talk about people and with people and to people about their lives. Because I was never I was never good in school. And because I just couldn't be bothered to learn, but I was always <laughs> wanting to, but I was really good at being coached, right? So they said, you have to catch the ball here and do that here. I was like, sweet, because I like doing that. And because I really like pe- being liked by people and want to be yeah. popular all the time and all these different things, <laughs> I will try really hard at it. And so the way that I get into that, that sort of style of people liking me is I ask lots of questions. And so I find out a lot about individuals. So that's how I gain my knowledge from these people. You're probably just also really interested in people. I think I'm really interested in people. I think people, and we, and, and we now live in this like age, right, where we're so disconnected that people are so, so connected that we've become disconnected. I heard this thing the other day, which, and if I repeat myself, because I've done so many podcasts, but I probably will, but I've had this thing the other day <laughs> where we basically, something like 
and what is it? Something like thirteen uh, percent of people like their jobs. They like going to work and one doing three. One three. Oh then sixty five percent actually do something called sleep working, which is basically where they just go to work and do it. And the rest actually have a negative impact on the business and dislike it. And so actually, only thirteen percent of people actually enjoy what they're doing, and the rest are just completely disconnected from anything. Yeah. And if, and we go and we're meant to be these like tribal people who like are completely connected all the time we've become completely disconnected this really scary statistic is like something like 20 years ago um the like everyone was people there was like a test that went on that everyone in america was asked the question do they have someone they can turn how many people in their lives do they can they turn to who's a really good friend or someone they are close to that they can speak to etc etc and the answer 20 years ago 30 years ago was like six people now the most common answer is zero it's actually yeah zero zero people people are so disconnected no one connects anymore oh my god that's so sad it's so sad and then god this is a really uplifting beginning to a podcast and then (laughs) i know i haven't also hey everyone be really happy here we go i also love the fact that i haven't even finished the intro i hope we're not finished the intro sweet okay here we go this is perfect okay don't worry everyone we'll continue the intro in a second (laughs) anyway but then i then i spoke to this guy i went for lunch with this guy um, who uh, said to me there are four ingredients for a happy life. And the first one is a monogamous relationship. Someone mm-hmm. that you're in a relationship with, someone that you love and you're happy with, and that's just great. So actually this like playboy lifestyle is, even though it's like glorified in like movies and things like that mm-hmm. and stuff, it's actually a really terrible way to live. The second one is having deep, strong connections with friends. Yeah. And actually people, it's not friends that you just meet on a tube and you go, oh, we're good with friends. Actually friends that you know their birthdays and you go to and you have dinners or lunches or breakfast connections with friends yeah the third one is is enjoying your work liking what you do and the fourth one is having like a purpose and doing something that actually feel like you have an imprint on this world yes those are the four which do you think is most important um friends really yeah more than purpose yeah i think so i think loneliness and actually think is a killer this is what i've worked out i think that okay so how i look at it right is that i I, throughout my entire life, my upbringing, everything, thought that being super successful was the way to happiness. If I won the lottery tomorrow, all my dreams would come true true and I would be so happy and everything. But in fact, it's not. So purpose is great because you can have... So so someone can have a purpose, right? Most people's purposes are their work. Yeah. Or their children. Or their children. That's a great purpose to have. But I think until you get to that point, so your purpose is like your work, whatever you do, and that could be cutting hair. You, 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 and making people have that's your purpose. But actually, what also that is doing is feeding your cat, feeding you money as well. So you're, even though that's your purpose, you also are trying to become more successful in that. And what happens then is you then start to, this is only my experience, you start to neglect friends. Basically what I'm trying to say is I neglected friends for so long. Yeah. And I think that was my biggest downfall. And I only realized that until recently. My biggest failure, which I didn't realize, was the fact that I neglected and let down a lot of my family, a lot of my friends. Mm -hmm. And I never realized I did that. I joined a TV show at 22 years old and I became some sort of famous, I suppose. And I got some sort of profile. Um, And I jumped from new friend to new friend. Uh, not thinking about my family, not thinking about anyone. And you were sort of caught up in the whole thing. Yeah, I think yeah. I totally was. And probably I, being introduced to people all the time. Yeah, but... Uh, and it is fun to make new friends. Yeah, it, I thought it was because I thought that made me popular. Mm. Because I was going, oh, oh yeah. this person, I've already made these friends here. They already like me. So I need now to make new friends. So they like me, a new mm-hmm. friend. So I was almost collecting like a beehive. Yeah. And I wanted to be this like queen bee and everyone makes the honey. 
Yeah. But in fact, what happens is... <laughs> what an analogy. I love that. Yeah. And then what happens is, is that when you're trying to build this hive, is that the ones that you're with at the moment stay, but the ones below leave. Friends are like a garden. You have to water them to make them grow. Yeah, it's and, true. And, and same with the family. You really have to do that. And I didn't do that for ages until I was about 27 years old. And I remember I was sitting in my flat at the time, about to go to the south of France to film out there. And I... It was another night that I was going to go out because I was drinking and partying a lot. And I was sitting there and I was saying like, well, who do I phone now? Who do I phone out of my friends? I was like, who do I phone? So I phoned one of my friends and they said, oh, we're in some pub. And so I went to the pub and it's all the guys that I hung out with since I was at university and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I sat there and it was awkward and I felt like an outsider. Really? Yeah, and I felt like an outsider. And I was like, this isn't, this feels weird. Mm. And then I took a trip to South Africa about two years ago, two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago. And with a bunch of my friends again, who I was really close with at university, and it was my friend getting married out there, and we all lived in a f house together. And I suddenly realised then that I wasn't the most popular, and not everyone loved me. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, some people looked at me like I was a bit of an idiot or a douchebag, and these different things. And that was the realisation, the moment that oh my god, I've actually neglected a lot of people and friends. And so I really think connections with people is so important. Going back to that, yeah. thing, I think it really yeah. is without friends or family or loved ones yeah. regardless of who that those loved ones are to have a purpose is almost purposeless do you know what I mean totally that's exactly I'll get yeah. you hit the nail on the head that is exactly it what is the point of having a purpose if you can't share it with anyone the Egyptians mm. right try to take all their riches with them they try to yeah. take everything with them they try to take money everything and in fact life is all about giving it all away that is love uh, wealth mm -hmm. uh, knowledge whatever it is you give it away to people because there is no, you can't have it when you're dead yeah and and the problem is, is that if you don't have those connections with people, you're just building a purpose is purposeless mm -hmm. and you end up building for nothing. And yeah. actually, I, I think then you question, like, what's the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. And I really think the meaning of life is to build a family. I think that's what we're meant to do. Yeah. Well, on that note. OK. <laughs> Sorry, I just rambled so much there. No, no, no. I loved it. So speaking of family and relationships, what I like to do with all my guests is for them to take me back to their childhood, to their beginning, and just set the scene for listeners. Okay, great. So uh, I was born, so I was born 3rd November 1988. God, that seems like a long time. God, I'm getting old. <laughs> this sucks. So 1988, John Radcliffe Hospital. Um, I was a, I was premature and I was a cesarean baby. So I came out kicking and screaming from my mum's tummy on my parents' wedding anniversary. Oh, really? Yeah, so I was like the wrong way around. And How premature were you? I think I was like 10 days. That's two, quite a lot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it is quite a lot. Yeah. I know it was 10 days, two weeks. And my mum always says there's two things. Firstly, they always say, beware the Scorpio born at dawn. Okay. That was me. And also, <laughs> I was like, I apparently came out like kicking and screaming and all these different things. But life was pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. I like, I rem life was pretty amazing. I mean, from the ages of like one to five, it was, or one to six, it was pretty amazing. We lived in an amazing house in the countryside. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were together. I had two older sisters from my dad's first marriage, Tash and Gems. Mm -hmm. I then had my older brother, Alexander, who was the very smart, bright one. Yeah. Um, I had, there was me, who was like kind of the energetic one who always played a lot of sport. And then I had my little sister, who was kind of the outsider of the family. She was like the little girl that kind of, we, we all sort of forgot about in a sense. And actually, and now me and her are just really close. Mm -hmm. We then had my mum, who was just wonderful, my dad, and we had our nanny, Julia we you know we had a swimming pool we had mm -hmm. tennis courts we had open space it was amazing and if I look back on those times now I can only really remember the summertime 
I can never remember winter. Really? Yeah, which is strange. That is strange. Yeah, and I think. Why do you think? I just I think. I think I was always uh, I was always kind of attracted at different energies. I always think I did. I always used to be able to read people and understand people and feel things. Mm-hmm. And I could feel different energies going on. I could always do that. And I think that winter and darkness just don't agree with me that much. And I was very close to my brother. My brother was my best mate. He was epic. He looked after me like guardian angel. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the one actually who, I started a sweet company called Candy Kittens, the gourmet gummy candy. And I started when I was about eight years ago now, nine years ago, eight years ago. And my brother, too, I was scared of the dark. And so the way to fall asleep was my brother used to tell me stories of Jamie and Sweet World. Aww. And that's how I fell asleep. And so then I grew up with this fascination of sweets. So my brother was amazing, all these different things. But I used to, I was, I was scared a lot. I was a scared kid. I remember going downstairs once to my, the sitting room my mum was. And I just watched a TV program my brother on dinosaurs. And I remember being scared that dinosaurs were in heaven. Because if I died and went to heaven, I'd be with dinosaurs and then that would be really scary. So it's always, oh my God. I was like conscious of like death and yeah. like dinosaurs and like all the, what the fuck? Should just be like That's playing? such an active imagination. Yeah. Well. what the hell is that about? It's like, so I was basically born an anxious kid, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. I was born worried, <laughs> which is bizarre. But also born with a very imaginative imagination. Totally. Always. That that, yeah, imaginative imagination. <laughs> but I was always, I was always kind of like that. And then, um, and then my brother went to boarding school. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went to boarding school when I was six. He was eight. He went to school called Summerfields. And that was kind of a turning point because our family was like, just broken up. Yeah. And I found that really, really hard. Because he'd left the nest or because... Because he had gone, yeah. Yeah. And no one explained to me why. Right. He no one went. said your brother's going no to one, school. Everyone said he's going to school, but I don't think anyone explained what it was yeah and that was quite weird and we weren't having our adventures anymore Mm. and we weren't it's almost like it's like christopher robin leaving winnie the pooh and i was like winnie the pooh and suddenly christopher robin's gone (laughs) you're like well where the fuck is he gone like this is hectic and it was a bit like that and no one explained and like in like batman and robin yeah but like in the pooh stories right like in winnie the pooh oh because he actually does leave he leaves right and winnie the pooh i've never thought of this but it's like this but winnie the pooh doesn't understand Mm. where he's gone and he's just gone. And that kind of happened to me. And so that was a bit of trouble. And then eight years old, I was sent to boarding school as well. And mm-hmm. I hated it. I hated boarding school. Can we go back a bit? Mm. Because what happened just before you went to boarding parents school? Parents divorce. Was your parents break up? Yeah, that was terrible. Which, Everything changed yeah. at that point. Yeah. So um, seven, eight years old. Was that? I must have been seven. Maybe eight. Summer of when I was eight years old, my parents got divorced. And... For some reason, again, me being an anxious kid, I was always concerned that my parents were going to be divorced or get divorced for some reason. I think it's because my dad already had a marriage. Mm-hmm. So I understood the concept of divorce. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so they got divorced. And I remember it very vividly. I was sitting in the car. We had this Toyota car. And my dad's office was also next to our house on this like land that mm-hmm. we lived on. And my mum took ages in the office and we wanted to go water skiing. And my mum came out of the office having taken so long and she walked up to the car and she looked sad. I've never seen my mum cry. She's never been upset ever. I've seen mm-hmm. her cry in like movies of that. Apart from that, she's strong. Yeah. And she walked over to the car and my dad was following her and she was upset. And I said, is everything okay? And she said, no, it's not. And I said, what's the matter? She said, why don't you ask your father? And I said straight away, are you getting a divorce? And my dad said, yes, we are. And my mum slammed the door and said, go and fuck up someone else's life. And it was the first time I heard. And I, I was like, what is going on? Yeah. And we went skiing. 
um, water skiing and my mum was very upset. And Did you ask questions to your mum? No, mom? I don't think I did ask questions. I don't remember asking questions. And it was just, I didn't really know what was happening, sort of thing. That all happened. And I was then sent to boarding school. We then moved house and moved to London. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty traumatic because we moved to London and it was like a big house and it was lovely and sweet and wonderful. Mm. And I remember standing outside this house and looking and going, well, it's quite small. Mm. And my mom, and it was this big thing. And then my mom said, well, it's only cut in half because it was just a townhouse. I thought it was a whole building. Yeah. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? You just come from this, where, where's the swimming pool? Where's the, I mean, first world problems, but this is what literally yeah. happened. Well, and you're it's born like into normality. it. There was no choice. I was yeah, just yeah. born into that. Yeah. Right? I didn't have a choice with these things. Um, and... I, that's what happened at that age, and it was tough. Everything changed all at once. I can resonate with that so much. Why? What, what happened? So we had a car accident when I was seven and a half, and my dad died in it, but it was in Sri Lanka, the accident, and we were on holiday. All in the car? We were all in the car. Oh, my. What happened? It spun out? A bus, a drunken driver on a bus. <laughs> so, oh my I know, God. mad. And... My friends, my school, my life, everything was in Hong Kong, all I'd ever known. Mm. And then we went to go and live with my grandparents. And I remember walking around my grandparents' garden in North Wales. So can you imagine living in the city, a concrete oh jungle, God, yeah. to suddenly living on the sea? Total change. Total change. Absolute mindfuck. And then no one, no one familiar around. A different, I could speak, I can speak Welsh, but I had to learn how to write a new language. And Was anything explained to you? Probably not, because I think there were bigger Totally, the bigger, bigger fish to, to, to fry. fry yeah. yeah, just there was so much, and it was all such a whirlwind. And after all, you know, all these months in different hospitals, I think my mum probably just wanted us to be safe somewhere all together again. And so it was very cozy and safe and lovely. But when you mentioned that kind of trauma, immediate change, yeah, and that sort of pinch me moment of like, is this real? Because I remember walking around the garden of my grandma, we call nine in Welsh. And I just remember pinching myself thinking like, right, I'm ready for this dream to be finished. And then I remember opening my eyes and every time I'd open my eyes and I was still in the dream, I'd be like, okay, dream, you won this time. And it was so sad. Oh my God, that makes me so sad. But really funny, sad and funny at the same time. How old were you at this time? Probably about eight. Wow. So So similar age to you. So so it was really, so it hit you hard. So this whole thing, because it must have, because if you wanted this dream to wake up, yeah, and you wanted to escape this dream, then you realised what was totally going on. Yeah, and the thing is, it must, it didn't hit me then, I don't think, but I think like you, I became Suppressed. a people pleaser, because I just didn't want anyone to leave. My dad had left me, even though he hadn't. I think all that trauma then caught up with me in my 20s. Anyway, enough about no, me. No, 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 I'm so, I, honestly, no, I'm no, so... No, 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 this no, is not I, about me. But we can go back to me, that's fine. So wait, it caught up with you in your 20s, so what happened? Well, I got, I think I'd never grieved. Mm. And so I think what, I think especially with a freak accident or a freak death, you just have to, there's no um, pre-grieving or there's no sort of uh, time before where you can prepare your brain and your body no, you and your it life. Happens. It just happens crazy. And on top of that, I think this whole life change was just such a confusing moment that I think for years and years and years, I even though I, had a great time at school and I loved my friends and I loved my life in many ways I was totally lost I felt really? lost a bit like I sort of felt like I was somewhat still dreaming in a way I think my feet were not on the ground like really? I think I was really ungrounded yeah and probably until my I'm now 28 but probably until 27 when I started seeing a psychotherapist were you feeling sad I wasn't feeling sad but I definitely knew that I I felt like I needed to talk to someone. I'd come out of this 
not bad relationship, but a relationship with someone who was sort of keeping me at arm's length. And I was like, why am I in this relationship? Yeah, and you were clinging What's wrong with it. me? Yeah. What, what's up with me in order for me wow. to be here? Okay, yeah. And then, yeah, and then speaking to a psychotherapist was just, I mean, so transforming for me and why I started this podcast, because people need to speak more, because it's just so hugely empowering and healing and you understand yourself. Yeah, more. it's so funny what you say about keeping hold of, relationships where and and you suddenly look at yourself why am I doing this I know this is bad for me I know I'm not enjoying this it's making me unhappy the fact mm. that I'm clinging on to this relationship why am I doing it and I that was my biggest downfall recently mm. and it wasn't relationship with with girls but relationship with friends and I was uh, behaving a certain way acting a certain way doing a certain way just to try and please them and it wasn't pleasing me because I was so wanted to keep hold of it and that was yeah. the reason why I went back to therapy because I was like I've got to sort something out yeah and I've got to do that um and because of that that then opens up a lot of portals which you don't realize uh should be uh, well you don't realize about them once those opened up you then have to it's almost like hot cookers on like a, it's like it's like a it's like a drain pipe bursting on like streets and then you suddenly have to try and put them out somehow and it's quite hard to put them out and you deal with all these demons and yeah. it's tough and you go yeah. through a process do if you've had this of being anxious and sad and mm -hmm. all those different things and it takes a while for your body to detox it all oh completely mm -hmm. psychotherapy is so expensive and shouldn't be you don't have to go to psychotherapy in order to you know understand yourself better but just talking is so important totally. and what a lot of people don't realize is it's about finding the route to the problem mm, exactly. rather than just masking it and yeah. the route to the problem a lot of the time is just talking so you went to boarding school mm -hmm. life change craziness mm -hmm. parents going through a divorce yep what was it like at school like school school was great because i was really good at sport and if you're good at sport you're automatically accepted mm. and i was captain of athletics captain of football captain of rugby played cricket played captain of tennis i was just i was a sporting hero so everyone in the school knew who i was i i won the cross country did all the different things so it was, it was great you had a strong identity at school. i had a strong identity but i was also constantly striving i was always it, it's i was always f like fighting with friends not fighting with them but always I, I didn't have friends who I could just sit with and just be buddies with. It was always about mm -hmm. who's your best friend? Are you your best friend? Are you, who's your best friend? It was always competition. Competition. Always. Oh, always, 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 always. How mm. did you feel at this point about your parents' breakup? And, how, and where was your dad in your life at this point? Do you know what? I, I, think, I think children or kids are quite kind of good at adapting. It, it, you know what, like puppies, for example, when you take your... Puppies get taken away from their mums mm. and they cry and they yell, but then they find a new family and they settle in fine. Yeah. And then they cry and they yell when they're left inside, but then they get used to it. I think kids are the kind of the same. What happens is, is that, but humans, human brains are much more developed. So I just got used to it. It was just the thing that happened. I hated going back to school. I would cry every single time I went back to school. Sometimes I would cling my arms around my mum's neck and she'd have to rip me off. Yeah, oh. yeah it's, it's terrible. In Indian culture, right, the baby doesn't leave the mother's side for the first like four years of childhood they sleep in the same room in the same bed sometimes oh my god yeah they're just there all the time and in sort of western culture we're told to give our kids away to boarding school at seven eight years old it shouldn't happen that works for some people but for other people i just don't think it works and i was an emotional kid i was very emotional um had you always been emotional yeah i think i had always been emotional and i'd always wanted to be known 
and be the best and be the most popular. I remember I got to school, this is weird. I remember I got to school at my school, Summerfields, and I remember eight years old, I remember looking around, looking at all of the kids and looking at them and going, well, I'm not gonna be friends with any of these losers. Really? I remember thinking, eight years at old, eight years old, aware enough. Such to a think, diva. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Who thinks like that? I remember looking around. I actually remember looking at them and going, these kids aren't good looking enough. That's what I remember thinking. That's that, isn't that weird? That's and I think it's because I had an older sister called Tash, who was like the really cool one. She smoked. She had friends over. She had always yeah, good looking yeah. guys. She always spoke about like Brad Pitt. And I always admired older people mm. because older people were cool. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to be older than I was. I was frustrated that I was my age. Mm-hmm. I want to be older. I mm-hmm. want to be older. So I always was friends with people who were, I thought, better than me. Yeah. And so... I would make friends with this person better than me, this person better than me, because that would, you know, I'm with the cool people and things like that. Yeah, and yeah. so people on my level were never good enough. Right. That's what I always thought. My dad, he had an affair and he had divorced my mum. And my mum was, my mum loved my dad a lot. Mm. Really loved him. Um, and she, but she just loved her family. My mum had this life where she grew up in Beirut with her brother. Her mum was, my grandma was difficult, always loved my brother more. Mm-hmm. Uh, not my brother, my, uh, my mum's brother more. So she, and my grandfather was a quiet man, but very intelligent. And so my mum had always looked for home, always wanted to find a home. Mm-hmm. And when my dad married her, he was a divorcee, but he was 31 years old. He was wealthy, mm-hmm. had a huge house in the country, he had two beautiful daughters, mm-hmm. and he drove a Ferrari. My mum thought she hit jackpot. Yeah, I mean, that is quite jackpot. Yeah, she was like, well, here we go. <laughs> this is amazing. And then she had three little kids, three little blonde uh, children, my brother, me, my little sister, mm-hmm. and then these two other blonde kids, and they lived in this house. My dad was wealthy, as I said, all these different things. So from the outside, it looked like this fabulous life. Yeah. And people would envy us. Yeah, I bet. Of this very adorable-looking family. But so when that got broken up, um, for my mum, it was very difficult. I've never, I've spoken to my mum a lot about it. I've never had a conversation with my dad about it ever. Really? Never. Never, ever. Would you? Recently now, I actually got emotional the other day, actually, because this is my dad. um, My dad and I have had this sort of relationship for many years where perhaps, perhaps I've held unknowingly anger towards it all. Mm -hmm. I don't really know why, Mm -hmm. but perhaps I have. Um, that would make sense if, if yeah, you know. I think I think it, I probably did, and I went we went skiing recently, and again, you know this whole sort of period of me trying to rebuild like my relationship, my family, things like that because over the years I was just neglecting them so much, and mm. since I was about fifteen, sixteen, I neglected my family because I thought that I was better than them and I knew better than all these different things. Right. So I went skiing with my dad, um, and he and that was like the first time in years i'd spent time with my family so it was my older sister her two sons my nephews just a big family all of us and my dad wrote me a letter afterwards and he just said how great it was and he gave me some advice and things like that mm. and and it was like the he and he was sort of opened up a little bit in this letter and it was the first time my dad and i had ever had this conversation about life yeah because he's made a lot of mistakes, and I think he would probably admit that, but mm-hmm. he's never admitted that to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he probably wants to, he probably, he's done a lot of things great, but he's done a lot of things bad. And I think that he probably wants to, me not to make the same mistakes as him, whether yeah. that's in relationships or things or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but I probably would now. And I got upset because I suddenly got this realization that, you know, you know this better than anyone. People die. Mm. And you don't want to be standing by someone's grave or praying for them and not be able to say what you wanted to say to them before yeah. they died. I think a lot about that all the time because I think with my dad, I probably haven't had the conversation I should have had. Yeah. And I think I should 
It's just about timing with him. Um, and that's, I think you, you should, you know, you should just be constant. I saw this interview today or this, this Kobe Bryant basketball players just died in a helicopter crash with his yeah. daughter and another family. He was a hero in the basketball world, a huge sporting hero. And I saw this guy talking about it. He said, whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying, you know, hug the person in your family and hug the person, speak mm. out and reach the person because the shit that goes on doesn't really matter. Yeah. And it is so true. It's so true. Like, it made me want to send a message to all my family yeah. going, I love you so much. I love much. you because you don't know what can happen. Yeah. And if you're having a riff yeah. or you're having an argument or you're having an upset between people, don't allow that to happen yeah. because life is short. Yes. As soon as someone in your family or loved one has something, for example, like cancer, every other problem feels so minute. Yeah, yeah. And it, if only we didn't need these really tragic things to happen in order to sort of realise totally. how minute all these things are. That, that's, ex that's exactly it. And so my relationship with my dad was probably not so good. My, but, my, but my dad, I, I probably, before... In lots of different things, I would talk for him. And now I mm -hmm. don't probably talk as much for him because I don't do really know. What do you mean by talk for him? Well, I would probably say what he was. was. So I would probably say that he uh, didn't really know what he wanted. And he chose other things over his family. And he did this and that. Oh, and, and, and perhaps that's not true. Yeah. I just, I don't know if it's true because I've never asked him. And I think but it's... that's how you felt. That's how I felt. And so I felt a, a, I felt a big rejection, I think, from my... From my from, I think I felt rejected from my family. That's what I think I felt because mm. I sent to boarding school and things like that. And do you think that's why you then maybe rejected them? Yeah, I think it was because subconsciously, and I think the, I've learned something for this, I think the subconscious is really important mm. and I didn't realise that as much. Yeah. And I think that because I, because I was re metaphorically rejected as a kid, I think that what happened was is that then I rejected other people, whether that was relationships mm -hmm. or friends yeah. or family, whatever it was, because that's what happened. So it doesn't matter if I cheat on this person, who cares? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just what happens. I only care about myself or yeah. well, my family. Why, why does that matter? I don't care. Who cares? And then what you realize is actually that has an ongoing effect on the other person. And that's yeah. not nice and fun. Yeah. Yeah. And also for you, it creates this very unhealthy pattern with yourself. Yeah. And then you realize that you, you're an arsehole. And yeah. when, you, when you suddenly come to realization that you're an arsehole, it's not a good feeling. I don't know. No. <laughs> did you have that? Have you had that realization? Yeah, I think I did. I did have that realization. When? But and I how? think, I think ugh, it was because what happened then is that, so I had Summerfields. Yeah. And I wasn't going to think, and I went on to another school called Radley College. Mm -hmm. And at Radley College, I, you know, I went to all these boys' boarding schools and things like that. And then I was introduced to girls at probably about 14 years old. Uh, and I was introduced to girls, and that was kind of my ticket. So I'd gone from this, like, sporting hero, this guy who loves that sport, and this was where you kind of, I got my glory from. This is where I got my rosette from. Yeah. From being you know the sport person and then i realized in the next school that actually the way you become cool is you date the right girl yeah. if you date the right girl you become the cool one yeah, so yeah. that was became sort of my mission almost subconsciously to date the right person yeah and so that's kind of the journey that i went on then and that's the time that when girls and booze and drink and sort of partying and things like that came into existence that's when it all started to go downhill and that's when i started to reject family and things like that and friends and all those sort of things yeah. it's about so around about 16 years old yeah. i reckon do you think that's when some of the things when you were younger sort of caught up with you subconsciously mm. yeah and then because of this fear of abandonment i had this whole problem with like just wanting to be loved and and being such a people pleaser that i would i remember we had something at, at 
at school, we had this big thing called the feathers. Mm-hmm. I, I went you, to the feathers. You went to the feathers, yeah. yeah. Where you twice. would kiss like 40 people. I yeah, went yeah. twice. You sort of turn around, there would be someone else. Yeah, you would. <laughs> the dark ready to kiss you. Yeah, you just kiss everyone. I remember I turned to one girl. It was girl. actually so disgusting. I remember I said to one girl, Do you want to kiss? Do you want to snog or kiss? I think I said pull, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And she said, Why? Let's just dance. Which is a completely valid reason. And I said, And she said, Why do you want to do that? And I said, Well, that's what we do here, isn't it? And she went, All right. And we just did it. <laughs> And actually, it's so weird that I remember that. Like, I remember such weird things. And that's so vivid in your memory. So yeah. vivid, like this moment, because it was, so, it was a, but it was a moment that. It's really funny when, when people throughout my life, when people have questioned things that I've done, I remember it. Mm. So because I was questioned, I was like, actually, true. Why, why are we doing this? And I remember, I, I feathers are like the thing to go to. And I remember this was the, the beginning of it. I remember I said to all of my friends, I have twenty tickets to feathers. So I invited twenty of my friends, but I only had three tickets. Uh, please, everyone. And I would organise everything. I, I, I did it from that age because I wanted to make sure everyone was happy. Because if everyone was happy, then no one would reject me. Yeah. So I couldn't possibly be rejected. So mm-hmm. everyone's happy. But then ultimately I'd have to let someone down. But letting them down last minute to me was so much better than letting them down in the moment. Wow, because in the yeah. moment I would be rejected. But later down the line w- was not in existence. Yeah, yeah. So it was easier to handle with. Yeah. And it was just always this constant fear of rejection that I oh, That's had. so interesting. Yeah, it was always like that. And where was your dad at this point in your life? Because you've always been close to your mum, haven't you? Always been close to my yeah. mum. My mum has always been my rock. She's your rock, yeah. Yeah, she's been, she's just epic in every single way. And, and women in general are just incredible people because they have to deal with just a lot. Guys get it pretty easy. Like, yeah. God, we get it easy. I mean, we can, like, we, we, we don't feel pregnant. We don't have periods. We um, kind of... Uh, you're stronger physically. We're physically stronger. Which means that you're sort of yeah, in, until, not as intimidating. Yeah, until, rec- until recently, you know, we've always been the ones to kind of uh, supposedly be the breadwinner, so we were paid more and all mm-hmm. these different things. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had an easy sort of life. You know, if a guy would go and sleep with different girls, he's called a player. If a girl, they're called a, a slut. slut. Yeah. yeah. And so guys had it pretty easy and, and mums are strong and women are strong and my mum I never ever saw my mum cry or get upset or be distraught and and I did this TV show um, called Famous Rich and Hungry which is a terrible <laughs> name wow is that a shocking name and it was for the BBC and was I went it yeah it was it's a really good show actually it was and I basically lived with two different families one in Croydon and one in Sheffield and we lived off um, one pound fifty a day. Mm-hmm. That's what we lived off, and that's what they were living off. And that's what I lived oh, off. I lived on. with these two I families. Yeah. Lived with this one family in Croydon who were who were super lovely, uh, mum and three kids. And then I went to Chef and lived with a dad and his son, uh, two sons. And what I realised, and I phoned my mum up and actually got upset about it. And what I realised is that I took everything for granted when I was a kid. I my mum would turn up to my sports things. My mum would. I mean, we had like chapel or church every Sunday and I would sit, so you'd have the altar up here at the front of the thing where the organ is. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have all the boys sitting in a line behind, in front of the altar. Then you'd have all the parents at the back and above the parents with another seating place. And I used to sit there and I would listen and I could hear my mum rattling her bracelets and sneezing and I knew she was there. Mm-hmm. And she was there every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. She came to my sports thing, she picked us up, food was always on the table, mm-hmm. nothing was ever... I, I always felt safe always. Yeah. It wasn't even a question. It, wasn't even, yeah. it was there always. But the shit that she must have been going through in terms of mentally, in terms yeah. of a divorce and all these different things must have been so intensely 
strong. Yeah. But she got through that and did all the different things. So I have huge respect for my mum. Mm. But my dad wasn't there really. He mm. he was very old school male. Um, you know, you you went to see him on holidays, mm-hmm. and he was there, and he you know supported you financially, and that's what the dad did Mm. and I get that because that's what happened to him my dad's dad divorced as well twice Mm -hmm. um he was called we called him Grand Turk and he again just I think it was all about if you support your children that's that's your job that's your job yeah done you support your financial support yeah Yeah. that's it and I think that's what my dad was taught Mm -hmm. and so that's what he did and I think that happens to a lot of different families and a lot Mm. of different people like that But the problem with that is that when you have a kid like me who is really needy and emotional Mm -hmm. and actually just wants attention, the other stuff is you don't really want. You kind of want that love and things like that. Yeah. Is that what you felt? Did you feel like you wanted to have love? I mean, I definitely did the sort of cliche thing whereby I would always be in a relationship. Really, were you? I just really, I mean, obviously it's such a different love if it's even a love when you're young, which it's yeah, not. Yeah. But it was such a different love or, or attention from a man. And, you know, you're, it's a very different relationship. But I just loved being hugged, touched by a man in, in a way, or a boy at the time. But in a way, it was just also somewhat maybe distracting. And for me, it would give me like some sort of exciting thrill that I'd be going on a walk after prep or whatever. And I'd sort mm. of be with this, old, I'd always go for older guys at school. Yeah, so or the oldest that I could. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd always go, I'd really go for old, really so old weird. guys. Yeah. But weirdly, in adult life and also life after school, I've never been into older men. So I haven't really? got those sort of classic, like, no, no, no. Men my age, a tiny bit older, or even like a tiny bit younger, never older. So you were, so when you were younger, you were just looking for that security almost. Yeah, I think I was super, I was a real daddy's girl. like always on my dad's lap, always on his knee, always wanted to be on his shoulders, always holding his hand. And I think for me, it was just, I just completely missed that attention and love that a man could give me. But then also I found with older men, I'd find um, my, as in like sort of uh, friends, dads, I'd find myself really drawn to them. And like really, knowing that they're never going to love me as much, this is so really? sad, I've never actually admitted this. Knowing that they're never going to love me, obviously, as much as I want them to, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Aside from school, because I had an amazing boyfriend at school for ages, and he set the bar so high that I've never quite been able to match it. But adult relationships, I think that's when all my trauma came up as well. And I think, because obviously, you know, priorities are different now or then. And I think that's actually when everything starts to hit you and, and sh- show, like, were visible in totally. my relationships and it's when you become it's when you become really self-aware yeah. that everything starts to hit you it's about that breaking the innocence once your innocence is broken that's why peter pan had it so right he didn't he didn't want to grow up because he wanted to not experience what adults feel and mm. when you experience all this experience almost yeah it's quite hard to retract it so everything opens and you go oh shit this is the way i'm feeling and things like that i also think when we're in our 20s it's like just a complete sort of silent identity crisis because you have to sort of define who you are and where you sit in the world or what your purpose is and all these other things that you didn't really have to think about when you're in the bubble of education so i think because of that that sort of heightens all this unresolved past stuff that Mm. may be still there that then also come out in your relationship yeah do you know what's funny though but i think guys i think guys so i think that's what happens to women in 
in their 20s. I think it happens to guys in, in their, their 30s. 30s. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think it does because... Um, well, just quick, because I'm interested in your one just really quickly because what is so interesting is that people talk about daddy's issues, but you... So therapists will say, or, or psychotherapists will say that if you're... If you're if you're loved by your father mm. as a as a girl, you know you can be loved and you will be loved, and so you have that. So yeah. so you would have had that, but you would have felt that love so much probably that yeah. you were then striving to receive it yeah, from yeah. somewhere else. A father gives his daughter self worth, yeah. and who's worthy of them? Yeah. How do you think your relationship with your dad? How do you think it's affected your relationships with women? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think what happened was to begin with is that it gave me, um, it gave me, first, so it's interesting that you say about being loved and wanting to be loved. I think that I was always searching for a relationship to have that connection with an individual where I knew someone loved me. Mm. I knew, okay, this person loves me. Okay, this person, so I've got that love there now. So this person loved me. So I was always searching to be loved. That's what I wanted. However, when I received that love or knew that love was coming, I then didn't want it anymore. Mm -hmm. So then I rejected, oh wait, hang on, I've got it now, okay, oh, I don't want this. And so what it made happen to me is that I became frantic in love. So if I was to, if I was dating you or I was texting you or whatever it was at the mm -hmm. beginning and you weren't into me or I would almost become sick with love, obsessed yeah. with getting that back. And then the problem was is though that once I received that love from that individual, whoever it was, I would go, well, I've secured that. Where can I find this next love from? And it, that's what the same with I was oh, Once I had got that in my beehive, I would then go and look for something else. Yeah, and yeah. that was the issue. When I was 16 years old, I dated a girl called Daisy. And um, she was, it's the only time I had a heart, my heart broken. Mm -hmm. And I dated this girl and she just rejected me and she broke up with me. And it was horrendous because it brought me back to that. It's horrific, that, yeah. Oh my. It's the worst. God. That first heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i understand why people murder now because i would have I if someone had got with her i would have killed them like i, I was <laughs> so obsessed with this person um and i loved her so much i thought i loved her so much yeah and so it made me sort of obsessed with this one i like love and the problem was so then i became obsessed with like dating all these different things and and finding that love somewhere so then when i joined a TV show and I was sort of being I, I was became desirable I suppose because I had some sort of fame and you go to these nightclubs and things yeah. like this and, and you can and guys and girls you know it, it's it's fun to hook up with someone who is on the TV or whatever it is or someone has some sort of profile it's attractive in some sort of way so I would I would find love almost but then I would just cheat and I would mm -hmm. Um, sleep with other people and I wouldn't care and I didn't care I didn't care about the effect I was having on someone else I didn't care about um, whether I was hurting any individual because first I always thought I could get them back yeah and secondly I was like well why does it matter like, it's, uh, why does it matter I, I, yeah, as long yeah. as I'm pleasing myself that's right. all I care about and I kind of did that for a while with relationships and I just realised wow and I really affected a lot of people and I did think. you realise at the time that you were somewhat copying your dad's behavior? No, not at all. I didn't no. even relate it. I was getting drunk all the time. I was suppressing so much. I was doing all these different things and I was just behaving like a complete arsehole. And, it's, and that was all of my, kind of most of my 20s I did that. 
And did you feel shit doing it? Or yeah, no, I didn't. I felt shit. The repercussions. I felt shit. afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt if you got caught. If I got caught, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt shit. Yeah. And then I dated this one girl who is just and was wonderful in every single way. And she, I cheated on her, and she found out, and she rejected me. And I told this before, but I would then I try to call her every single day to try and speak to her, and mm. she never picked up. She never picked. She never picked up. And so what I did then was I would then fall asleep and one night she phoned me and the next morning I woke up I had a missed call from her so I tried to phone her back trying to phone nothing at all no answer so for the rest of two months I would sleep with iPods in my ears connected to my phone so if she rung it would wake me up because yeah. I was just so like oh. yeah it was quite upsetting actually <laughs> really yeah upsetting. really sad but I was just but I but I had to go through all these things and I just behaved badly and I chose wrong relationships and all these different things and and actually weirdly I kind of realize i haven't i haven't drunk now for three months oh coming really coming up to three months yeah oh, wow i did it for a reason but it's weird when you actually do it wow things come to the surface but i yeah my I, god oh my god what it's then just like <sighs> explain <laughs> god I, this is a whole lot i could keep going so the how long do you have i have ages so okay, let's just keep going so i so basically what happened was is i um yeah i decided that i needed to stop drinking because I'd used alcohol as a crutch for so long and mm -hmm. when I say that I use it as a crutch I use it to be the funnest person mm -hmm. and the most energetic and the loudest person in the room and the one to hook up with different people and give me confidence all yeah, these different yeah. things I've always had this problem of trying to be the fun person and I realized it was a big crutch in my life so then three months ago on my birthday I decided to give it up because I'd always used it as something and so I gave it up and wow, we has it been a roller coaster <laughs> since then. Holy smokes. Probably been the hardest test of my life. Really? Yeah, I'm not even kidding. Like for the first month, it's great. You go for this euphoric time of being like, sweet, here we go. It's great. And I, I'm not an alcoholic in any way. Yeah, yeah. It was just I used it. You, as just, a... you just could see your relationship my with it. My relationship with it. Someone told me once that um, you, what is it? You should drink, you should you should drink to feel even better, mm. not to drink to feel better. Yeah. And yeah. I was probably drinking to feel right. better. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and so then I gave up alcohol and then, so the first month it feels right. And then for the next two months after that, everything comes to the surface because you're not covering it with anything or suppressing it with anything oh, or wow. hiding it with anything. And I think that's why I talk about guys finding themselves in their 30s. I think my 20s, I thought I really had discovered myself. And, I've, and, I've, and I'm hugely self-aware mm. with lots of where I am and all these different things and understand people. In, but, I, um, but I think you then go through this process when you stop. It's the first time in life that I stopped everything and actually gone, right, I'm just going to work on myself and see who mm. I am as a real person, not have everything. I've done therapy, all these different things. And I kind of, but this is the first time that I've gone almost totally clean of everything. Yeah. And lots of things come to the surface and it's quite hard to, to like realize Like what it. things? Like the fact that um, it's, it's hard to explain, like that pro probably I'm not as crazy as I always wanted to be mm -hmm. and that life is pretty calm mm -hmm. and I, all of my highs and my exciting things came from partying and drinking and all those different things. And mm -hmm. actually, life is a lot more simple. I listened to this interesting podcast with I Tom. I love that. Yeah, yeah, life is simple. And you you sort to, of make it crazy yourself. You make it crazy yourself. Yeah. And, and life is actually... But that's okay that it's simple. And I, and I was always on the search for the next high. What, where it is. Mm -hmm. Is that sleeping with another girl? Is that doing this? Is this this? Where's yeah. my next high coming from? Ha, ha, fine, fine, fine. And what happens is that it's not sustainable. And so you then reach all these different things. You reach 
um, success or wealth or whatever it is. But then you're not actually realizing what actually matters in life. You're just trying to reach all these different peaks and all these different mountains. And I think that's where I realized that actually I've got to settle myself down and realize that actually the most important thing in life, and this is what I realized, is that friendships really matter love really matters family really matters and those are the key things in life that actually really matter a lot and all the other stuff is just extra yeah and that's it and i haven't realized that until i stopped drinking really so this is quite a new realization really new and and it's tough and to anyone out there who's stopped drinking and feels in a funky kind of way hey man or girl whoever you are i'm with you because you feel anxious you feel yeah sad almost like like all these different things yeah, all these yeah. emotions kind of surface because your body is detoxing all these different things and you realize like a lot of stuff i would drink so much that i would just kind of black out almost and it just was not healthy yeah. it's just i think so basically the sort of process which i'm going through now is actually just um basically so 20 to 30 let's go 20 to 30 was about figuring out life in a way so figuring out a bit more about who I was mm. and not even figuring out, not consciously, but like sorting everything, like going into work, understanding what you're going to do in life, understanding who mm. people are, understanding like what the, how the world exists. Sort of working on like a hundred miles an hour as yeah. well. Yeah. And I think then my thirties now are about discovering who I actually am. And I think that's what I'm realizing now that I'm actually just finding out who I actually am. Yeah. When I thought I did know who I was. And I knew what affected me and what was wrong with me, but I think now I'm yeah. figuring exactly what I am. Do you think, though, that that's something that every year you look back, yeah. or at least I do, with yeah. who was that person? I, yes. I, did the, I had the weirdest ideas about stuff or about myself or, you know, way less healthy habits or she was so naive or she was so, so lame or all these things so self-critical about who I was a year ago and thinking, God, I've come so far. And it's really interesting. I think that maybe just carries on and it's this thing sort of your identity is constantly being expanded challenged fed yeah uh, taught lessons traumatized experiences and all these different things which means you are i think forever changing but what i think you're getting at is that regardless of all this other stuff and all this outer stuff it's this inner thing which is the thing that you're getting to know and that's that's, it, that's yeah. also grounding in your root and all this other stuff can keep happening and you can be aware of it or not aware of it but you really know who you are which, you know who you yeah. are and also the, the big thing for so me i went on a real rant there. no that was a perfect rant that you <laughs> said no you said it so well but also i think for me as well is that I always taught there were answers. So um, I would go into my English or my maths class yeah, and I would so say, true. what's four plus one? They say it's eight. I go, great. And that happened. So at school, you always are given answers. Mm. And then uh, what I re- started to realize in my late 20s is that people don't have answers. And that was hard for me to understand mm. that not everyone has answers. Or and that you had to find the answer. You had to find the answer. And that average, you know, you'd see, I would just thought, well, you know, of course I would get married and of course I would have a job and, and that everything just falls in place, but it doesn't. Mm. It doesn't kind of fall that way just as you think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And actually, no one really has... It's hard to me explain. I just thought... I thought my parents always had the answers mm-hmm. for everything. Yeah. But in fact, they don't always have the answers and that was quite hard for me to discover. Going back to your dad mm. and obviously him having an affair when you were younger and being particularly close to your mum and seeing her pain, did that mean that you realised that about your dad earlier on? No, I don't think it did. I don't think I ever realised it or... Also dwelled on it. No, I just don't think I did. I don't think I did. I think that I... I never kind of questioned it. I never... Yeah, because it's just your reality. It was just reality. It just Mm. happened. 
And I think what happens then is that you bottle, you know, we're all seeds when we're growing, right? And what we do is we start planting our roots into the ground and then we become a tree. Mm. And what happens to us is when we're younger, it's so important. So important. Oh my God, it moulds you into the person. Yeah. And good, bad, ugly, whatever happens to you, if something, if, and people, it's not broken, but if something cracks you in some sort of way, it's, you have to heal it at some point. Mm. And you really do. And I think I was cracked, well, I know I was, I was cracked really badly mm -hmm. when I was younger without realizing it. And I never really probably he healed it until recently or started to try and heal it recently. Yeah. Um, and it's tough to do that when you're older. Yeah. And, it, but it's important to do it. Yeah. And, and it's never too late. To it's never it. too late to do it. But also, I just think it's going back to that thing we said at the beginning. It's so important to talk about these things and discuss it with people and mm. be open and honest. The reason why I have my makeup is because of my parents' divorce and the fact that my parents split and my dad was absent and all yeah. those different things. And I think this is what I just think it's really important in life for for children for children to have adults and family members there who are supportive i really think it is mm. and i just as i said before i just think kids are so vulnerable to different emotions and it, and later in life their makeup has changed because of their experiences when they're younger and for you growing up with your absent dad mm -hmm. even though obviously he was financially supporting you and you know maybe you'd speak to him on the phone every now and then mm. but what effect do you think that had for you at the time and then later on I think that, I think it was because I, I don't think I knew whether my, I, I don't know if, I, my dad, I always said this, to, I said this to my brother once, I said, my dad, I know my dad loves me, but I don't know if he likes me. Right, yeah. Um, and I remember saying that to my, about my dad when I was younger, because I think that I was never good at school, but I was good at sport, but my dad would pay for my education. And mm. so if I wasn't doing well in education, he's like, why am I paying for this? But I did well in sport. And my brother did very well in education. So my dad, so I always thought he admired my brother and loved my brother and liked my brother, but he didn't like me. Mm -hmm. And so I always tried to strive for my dad's affection, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. I've tried to do that. And it's been, I think that's where my some of my troubles lie, where... I've always strived because a male in your life is so important. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. really is. I think that's where my troubles come from. Yeah. I think so. And do you think that's what you're sort of slowly but surely dealing with now is like looking at that and that relationship? Yeah, I think it is. And also, like I said, you know, turning, I'm 31 now and I'm starting to deal with every single emotion that I just never dealt with before. And I, and I thought, when I did the Elizabeth Day podcast, I thought I was incredibly self-aware. I was like, well, I know everything. And I, and, and I know all about myself and all these different things. But actually, what I've worked out recently that I had to, I've had to deal with a lot more other issues yeah. that I didn't realize I had and I was covering up with different things and things like that. And I think that if you can do it and you can do therapy, definitely do it. And I think that if you can heal yourself in certain ways and talk about it and meditate or whatever it is or exercise, do it. I really think it's key to become self-aware because you people go through ups and downs throughout their entire life and and it's hard to sometimes deal with. And I particularly have been through lots of ups and downs, but I'm going through a period now which is a funky old period, but I think I'll probably come out the other end if yeah. I, I'm just jabbling on now about nonsense but I think it is I think just do you know what it is I thought life was simple and life mm. isn't that simple no when you're younger it's so simple and then as you get older it's quite difficult and mm -hmm. hard and that's what I figured out 
And you clearly have an insanely good work ethic. I think it was because... I think mine's probably quite simple. I think that my drive comes... And where do I have to... If I really had to go deep, what does my drive come from? I really have a drive to to achieve different things and create because... Because I... I, I I think I want to get be respected and admired from people. Yeah. And my dad. And I think it stands for that. I don't think that I thought, and he probably did. He probably did. I don't know if he did or not. But he mm. probably did. But I didn't, when I was younger, I don't think, I didn't think that he did mm-hmm. respect me or like me or admire me. Yeah, yeah. And so when I got older, I would go, well, this is what I want to do to get respect and prove young. And especially coming from a reality TV background where it's quite hard to be respected because you choose yeah. an industry that people frown upon and dislike yeah, because yeah. you're like, why the hell would you do that? And yeah. I totally get that. So add that into the mix as well. Then I was like, well, fuck, I really have to get this respect from somewhere. So I was like, well, I'll start building things and doing things. And that's yeah. where my drive comes from because if I'm achieving stuff, then people have to respect me. I felt a certain way about him so if I get everyone's respect and admiration then that will make me feel better and that's why one of the reasons why I joined Made in Chelsea if I became famous mm-hmm. I would get respect from loads of different mm-hmm. people and people would really like me and that would cover up all the other feelings that I had about feeling lonely and rejected yeah. and the problem is is that having done that actually you feel even more alone because mm. what happens is, is that you put yourself in the public eye and everyone knows you and actually you then realise that actually you don't want to be known mm. and actually being known is not as fun as you thought it was it comes with lots and lots of positives but there are a lot of negatives it comes from as well yeah. and actually being so it's, it's someone said to me would you would you if you had a choice if I had a choice between being known or not known what would I pick now and I would still pick being known because of the things that it have brought me but it's it's definitely a it's a, it's not as it's not all it's cracked up to be. People mm. strive towards these things, going like, okay, I want to be famous and rich and have a status and be this and that. But actually, they just don't bring happiness. Yeah, it really isn't. What brings happiness is having these core relations, all these different things that I said before. Mm. I think that dads are so important in in people's lives because for 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 girls, as I said before, for girls. Dads teach you that you can be loved, mm. and that's what you do. And for guys, what dads teach you is that they teach you how to behave, how to respect, how to um, su- support, how all these different things. And if you don't have that in life, you don't, you kind of get lost. Mm. And for me, what happened was because I didn't really see that in my life, I became lost for a long time yeah. because I thought that I could cheat and I could misbehave and I could disrespect and I could do all these different things and that was a real big problem for me and it bites you back in the and also that's potentially what you'd been shown as some sort of role model as much as your dad probably had some has some incredible qualities he had shown you that you know to cheat was totally a a reality it was a reality and 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 it was also cheating was then glorified on like reality shows and things like that big time oh my god it's so mad that it's terrible and it's a really completely completely normalized if you don't cheat it's oh he's such a good boyfriend yeah he's such a good boyfriend and also then what happens now is that people automatically think that you're going to cheat and things like that because Mm. that's the norm but in fact cheating is like a terrible thing Mm. you shouldn't you should not cheat you should have that respect for that person yeah yeah and do you have that mentality now yeah i do for sure i i I 100% i think that you I think that you should... I have huge guilt for the way I treated um, some past relationships because... Not because I didn't cheat. Like, I wasn't like a serial cheater, but I, it was 
couple of relationships that I had that I, when I was much younger that I really didn't behave properly mm. and I really upset a couple of people and I have huge guilt for that because it's really not the way to behave mm. um, and I upset a lot of people but again these things bite you back when you're older what is your relationship like with your dad I understand life a lot more um, I understand that there are two sides to a coin when it comes to relationships mm-hmm. um, I understand that my dad was probably treated a certain way when he was a kid Mm -hmm. and that probably built him to what he was. Um, I also said before that, you know, life is very precious and so people can die in a second. I said, as you know, very well. And you shouldn't, you should make sure that you, you say all the things that you want to say to your relationship. So I'm very conscious of having a good relationship with my dad now. Mm -hmm. And that has, that's started, you know, not that long ago mm-hmm. and it was a conscious thing and and my dad and i are now getting on much better we've got to learn a lot about each other mm-hmm. and i've got to learn a lot about him but we're in a much better place and it's not because i've started Succeeded, a podcast yeah. or started a business at all actually we don't talk about that at all yeah um we've much becoming more father and son now mm-hmm. which we hadn't been for ages we were more friends and it's actually probably through his other son so my younger brother my younger stepbrother a half brother um and i'm very close to my younger half brother and through him i've got a much better relationship with my dad oh really yeah he sort of helped the bridge yeah for sure yeah um that's amazing yeah really amazing and my dad is a very very good father to him my dad's mm. always been a good what's dad what's that like i i sent i sent a message to my dad actually saying you you brought i took my little brother for dinner once he was about 30 he's 40 now but he was 13 then i took him for dinner and um i sent my dad a message saying you you've brought up a really good boy there Mm. well done you you've done really well there and and it was a huge sign of respect to my dad because my dad's been through a lot in terms of divorces and and lots of kids and different things like that and and he's a really good boy, that. Yeah. My brother. Um, and I said well done to him for it. And do you think that's also partly because your dad's maybe at a stage in his life where he sees his priorities? And totally. And I think yeah. you get to a certain stage. My dad's 70 now. Yeah. And you get to a certain stage in your life and you realise that actually at the end of... And he's not at the end of life. And if I said to him, go to the end of life, he'd be like, shut up, no, I'm not <laughs> yeah, at all. Exactly. And he's not. He's so young. He looks so... He looks 50. Mm. Maybe even younger. He looks so Good young. Jeans. Yeah, unbelievable jeans, can't wait. Um, but he, uh, I think when you're in your rocking chair, when you're 90 years old, mm. you look back at your life and you don't care about what holiday you went on or what car you drove or no. what house you lived in. All you care about are your connections and whether you're a yeah. good person. Yeah. And I think he realises that. Yeah. Um, and I think that he wants all of his kids and people around him and, you know, things like that. Mm. And that's what happens. And, you know, life is, again, life is really precious and you should really value it because it's an amazing thing to enjoy. So if your dad was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him? Um, oh my God, what would I want to say to him? Truthfully, what I would want to say to him is probably sorry for giving you such a hard time for such a long time without meaning to, but hopefully he won't listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So he won't hear this. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what I would say, yeah. Sorry for... Sorry for giving you a hard time for so long. I would honestly probably say that. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Jamie. Sorry, I feel like I rambled a lot today. Are you joking? I rambled way. I no, ra- you I rambled- did not. You were concise and to the point. Mine were like, no, no, no. It's like a roller coaster of different things going on. I also normally don't speak as much at all. It's because you're used to being the interviewer. So yeah. you're asking me loads of questions. I was also, like, no, Jamie. Like, so your story is way more interesting than mine. No, it's definitely not. Yes, it is. It's way more interesting. Mine is just about divorce and things yours is way more interesting and way more deep and way more everything no but that's what people say that's what i mean about relativity divorce is still very traumatic true and it should be spoken about more because it affects people loads yeah it's true but yours is way <laughs> way more than mine <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my episode with the absolutely wonderful Jamie Lang. Honestly, we could have spoken for hours and hours and hours more. He's just so insightful. And I think the lessons that Jamie has brought to the table in terms of valuing friendships and relationships with your family as integral to inner happiness, inner peace, inner growth is such a brilliant lesson to take from this episode. So thank you, Jamie. I think your experiences with your father also will speak to so many people because I think that traditional male masculine in inverted commas role has been experienced by so many and I think it's amazing to be able to be aware of breaking that particular cycle of fatherlessness where tradition and historic norms get in the way of being a present and an emotionally available dad so thank you so much it really 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 was a pleasure and I'm so excited for the rest of season two and thank you to Jamie for kicking it off with such a brilliant bang I'd love to thank a few people who are new from season one and those are Ed Garland who did my incredible icon cover and graphic design and branding, Sophia Jennings who's my co-producer, she helps me see guests, she gives me such incredible advice and she's so talented and James William Blades who is the legend behind providing Daddy Issues podcast new music by the absolute brilliant artist that is Julieta. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Wargy Productions and thank you guys for listening. I love hearing your thoughts so don't hesitate to get in touch. If there's anything at all that's affected or resonated with you and you'd like to get some support or follow up on anything that's been said, psychotherapist Julia Samuel has an incredible website www.griefworks.co.uk Once again, thank you so much and I hope you enjoyed the episode.